Hey everybody, I'm Dr. David Rice with Dentistry Unmasked with my partner in crime as usual. Hey, Dr. Pam Maragliano-Munez, what is up? What is up is we are at the Greater New York meeting with one of the greatest speakers, guys, legends. Yeah, oh. that would be you, Tom <laughs> Viola. Good to see you, David. Great Pam, to see you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Thank Welcome. you so much. Thank so you. you guys probably already know, but Tom and I have our web series, Medical History Mysteries, that we've been doing mm -hmm. for, I think, almost three years now. Which is, is it really insane. that long? Oh, my goodness. I think so. Oh, that's great. I know. Crazy. We've done a lot. We've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of ground. Yeah, and yes. so here we are trying to talk about more pharmacologic Stuff. topics. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Absolutely. What would you guys like to talk about? How about... Open-ended questions, whatever you like. You can ask me anything. Whoa, an ask me anything an session. Ask me anything session. Yeah, this is going to go a lot of good places. <laughs> There's a lot of places end. this could go. <laughs> We're going to apologize to all of you in advance, or you're welcome. One of the two. Yep. You, you asked for it. You, you asked for it. You got. I can start you off with a couple of seed questions if you want. If that's going to help, or you can start with yours. Come on, let me hear what you got. Well, let's see a seed question. See if we can. If we, we can see your seed question. Mm. And we can try to king boy, your queen. Oh boy! <laughs> All right. So, uh, is there any evidence to suggest that antibiotic prophylaxis works to prevent joint replacement infection? Joint replacement infection uh, post uh, invasive dental procedures. I come from the thought that most of us brush our teeth and floss and probably eat. And if we're in poor periodontal health, I'm guessing we bleed more on our own than we, we, we do in a dental visit. But maybe that's just me. I kind of share that sentiment that, yeah, it's kind of interesting how that is the case. However, mm -hmm. when you're on my watch, I'm probably going to treat you a little bit differently. Reasonable, Tom. <laughs> my, uh, my advice to both of you as seasoned clinicians as you are, with all due respect, uh, I would say that antibiotic prophylaxis has been proven not to work. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a plenty of evidence to suggest that it does not prevent a joint replacement infection post-invasive dental procedures. But if the orthopedic doctor insists, my advice is to probably go along with the orthopedic doctor and, and go ahead and either prescribe or at least advise the patient to have the prescription written by the orthopedic doctor if the doctor so uh, allows that to happen. Because uh, ultimately, uh, while we all are stewards of antibiotics and we don't want uh, resistance, uh, bottom line is uh, if that patient believes for one second that they didn't get that antibiotic and that's the reason why they developed a joint replacement infection, they're going to blame it on you. Because the orthopedic doctor is going to say, well, I, I wanted to prescribe, but the dentist said no. So. Uh, so you said something really interesting there that we have adopted in our practice maybe like 13 years ago, I feel like. And that's when we felt like maybe this was um, over-dramatized and overkill mm -hmm. that we would happily have that patient premedicated, but we did put it back on the shoulders of the orthopod and said, hey, we fully aware you want, you know, Dr. Pam medicated. Go ahead and write that script. You write the script. Absolutely. And I still believe that. Mm -hmm. I still believe that ultimately it's, it's their responsibility because they want it. Now, sometimes they'll push back on you and say, yeah, but you're the one doing the procedure. It's your patient. I get that. But I'd rather have the script come from them. Yeah. yeah. So how do you feel about the two-year window thing? So you get your joint replacement. And so right now the guideline is to provide antibiotic prophylaxis for two years and then some orthopedic doctors are like, after two years, you're good to go. And then there's the patient that says, no, you must have it for life. For but life. like, what happens within that first two years? So I think a lot of that is fictitious. I think we sort of made it up because all of the studies don't even suggest the two years anymore. 
So again, I, I would still go along with, it, with that guideline if that's what you follow in your office. And that's what I was going to say. It's only a guideline. It's not a regulation. It's not a law. So whatever guideline you follow in your office, along with in concert with the orthopods in your area, that's what I would go with. Because at the end of the day, if your patient believes that by taking that antibiotic, they're going to not get a joint replacement infection, they're not going to have to get that joint replaced a second time, then you know they're going to get their amoxicillin from somewhere. They'll get it from their, you know, their general practitioner. As I like to say, they'll even take it out of a kid's bottle if they have to. Right? Mm -hmm. They're going to get it one way or another. I was going to say, I think we all have had patients that have said, I ran out, but there was some left in my cabinet, so I took that. Absolutely right. So, yeah, I agree. It's, again, may not be worth it in the end. You know, Super effective when it's laying around for like seven or eight years. <laughs> you know, there's something to be said about that placebo effect. For well, sure. Pe people like to leave stuff in their medicine cabinet in case of an emergency, right? So you never know what's, what you're gonna, treasures you're going to find in there. Absolutely. What about the incidence of people having a, a reaction to the antibiotic itself? Isn't that like statistically a you know, greater prevalence than anything the antibiotic would do to help the joint? So true. And that's the thing. I, I often worry about patients who don't know they're allergic, right? Because there are those people. But at the same time, I worry about patients who believe they're allergic when they're not. Ooh. So, you know, you've got patients who say, I'm allergic to penicillin. And I'll always say, what makes you think so? And they'll say, well, my dad was or my mom was. Okay, it's not inherited, right? I'm allergic to penicillin. What makes you think so? My husband is. Okay, it's not contagious. You know, <laughs> I'm allergic to penicillin. What makes you think so? It makes me go poopy. Okay, so does everybody else. You know, it's, I, I think at some point people like to invent allergies, but at the same time, if it's a true allergy, what do you do then? It's clindamycin. But then as soon as I say that word clindamycin, that opens up a whole other can of worms about, you know, what should we do? Should we use clindamycin? Should we not? The American Heart Association said, don't use it for infective endocarditis prophylaxis. So does that mean I should never use it again? You know, it's, it's a quagmire. Yeah, so I agree, Dave. Hmm. So I had this interesting encounter with a patient when I was teaching at the university. So I'm in charge of a group of students, and the doctor says, you know, you make your patients, the students go through medical consultations and all of that, and they decided that this patient needed antibiotic prophylaxis before any dental care. Fine. The patient said, no. Oh, okay. I can't take it. I'm not taking it. I'm allergic to antibiotics. And the guy carries around a picture of the backside of his naked body covered in hives. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's proof. <laughs> Effective. Yeah. And he's like, this is what's going to happen to me. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay. what am I doing with my life? And I'm looking at this and I, I said, but... That, that's the only way that we can treat you here at this university is because it's been documented that you, in fact, need to have this. And so we went round and round and round, and I don't think we ended up treating him because of that. The glamorous life of a dentist, yes? Oh, yeah, there's some days that are super glam. That was, that was a highlight for me. But, I mean, here we are. We're told that this person needs it, yet they refuse to take it. Great. I don't know. I mean, I still, looking back... If the, if the doctor says you need it and I go against it and something happens to that person, that's on me. Yep. Agreed. You just do this. Check out my back photo. It's pretty sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Baby got hives on their back. Oh, Baby got hive back. <laughs> oh, man. I love that. All right. Well, that, okay. So what about, you know, another class of drug that dental practices give out all day, every day, that maybe they give it a little too much, surgical procedures. I don't know, in today, you know, the end of 2023, 24, like how should we be dealing with pain management with people? Because everybody thinks we're a little pharmacy. Yep. 
So remember that when, and it depends on the state you're practicing in, but if you dispense medications to a patient for other than office use, like if you say, hey, I know you're gonna go home this weekend, I know you're gonna be in pain, here's three days worth of ibuprofen, here's three days worth of acetaminophen. In some states, that's considered dispensing. You take on all the responsibilities of a pharmacist at that point. So my advice is, you know, I, I like to see you prescribe just so that you avoid that specter. But when it comes to prescribing for pain, as I've always said, many times dentists will prescribe an opioid to treat pain, and they will treat a patient's pain with that opioid without an opioid ever leaving the pharmacy because it's more placebo than it is anything else. You write the script, the patient goes to the pharmacy, they find out it's an opioid, they don't want it, I don't want that in my house, I've got kids, I've got grandkids, wonderful. But the fact that the prescription exists at the pharmacy bolsters them and gives them a way out of that severe pain that night. So I can hold on a little longer. I just want to hold on a little longer. Let's see what it's like tomorrow. I'll be okay. If it gets really bad, I'll just go get that prescription filled. But speaking as the pharmacist here, they hardly ever get that script filled. But it was just there to get them through the night versus not writing the script. And then the patient has no alternative but really three options. One, suffer, which means they're going to have a negative connotation about pain and dentistry the rest of their life. And that's going to mean they're never going to come see you if they don't have to. Or they're going to wait too long. Two, take more ibuprofen and acetaminophen than they should, which is never a good idea, mm -hmm. right? Or three, contact a friend or a relative who has an opioid set aside for just such an emergency in their medicine cabinet, and they'll get an opioid anyway, but it wasn't prescribed for them, and it, they don't have directions for use on, how, on the best way to use it. So at the end of the day, it's actually safer for the patient and everyone concerned if you just write the script. You know, and what are you going to write for, six tablets? That's, in my opinion, that doesn't contribute to the opioid epidemic. Again, and they could always take one or two and dispose of the rest. So in my opinion, I think sometimes writing the opioid is better than not writing the opioid. I like that. I ne and I honestly never really thought about it that way, that a patient would kind of have it as a, a safety net or security blanket that they don't use. That's, that's really helpful. So, yep. And as for ibuprofen, just for the record, a lot of people believe that ibuprofen is not a good idea for patients with hypertension because they feel it will make you retain fluid and raise your blood pressure. It's not true. As a matter of fact, it takes five to seven days for that effect to really uh, have, have that uh, effect on your blood pressure. And we don't normally prescribe it for only three days. So again, denying ibuprofen to a patient because they have hypertension and making them suffer in pain longer only drives their blood pressure up anyway. Well, this is a dumb question. What do prescriptions expire? I would imagine that you can't, if, if somebody wrote me a prescription a year ago, I can't walk into the pharmacy and fill it. So how long do you have the safety blanket? So it depends on the item prescribed, and it depends on, on your state as if it's a controlled substance, how long that prescription is good for. But in general, a prescription for amoxicillin in, in most states is good for a year from the time it's prescribed. Now, I don't think anybody would fill it a year later. I think most pharmacists would call in at the question and say, mm, let me call your doctor and get this updated prescription because why would you need amoxicillin a year later? However, using it for prophylaxis or you're using it for you know, a recurrent infection, you know, you might need it a year later. So it's, it's really a partnership. It's an interdisciplinary partnership with your pharmacist, you know, talking about the pharmacists in your area and their comfort level with you and how you prescribe. I, I think that's important. You know, we talk a lot on the show about how we all work together. And, and I don't know that enough dentists sit back and think about the pharmacist partner that we need to have and if the frequency with which we do work together. 
Yep, I, I've, on all the times I've spoken to uh, pr providers about pharmacists and pharmacies, for the most part, the relationships are good, but there are, I hear more about the adversarial relationships. Like I wrote that script and the pharmacist wouldn't fill it, and, and you know, I wrote for uh, this, this female patient always gets a yeast infection after I prescribe amoxicillin, so I prescribed the Diflucan along with it, knowing full well she's gonna get a yeast infection, and the pharmacist called me and said that's outside of my scope of practice and I shouldn't have prescribed it. Believe me, I get it. But at the same time, everybody's got to do their job, and that's why that partnership becomes important. You sure. know? So should we go to our local pharmacies and just kind of drop our business card and try to get to know our pharmacist? Like, how do you even do that? I'd, I can't tell you I've ever, outside of a phone call to call in a script or to have a question about a script, have I ever communicated with a pharmacist in my area? I can't tell you how much goodwill you would foster with that pharmacist if you actually had the time to speak to them directly. The pharmacists never get a chance to speak to the doctor because you're busy, they're busy, and end up dealing with your front office staff. But if you actually picked up the phone and say, hey, it's Dr. Pam, what's your question? Let's, go, let's talk about it. That will build such a tremendous relationship with your pharmacist that that level of trust is not something you could ever foster even in an uh, in-person visit. They're just too busy. So that means you're going to receive fewer text messages from me because when I have a pharmacy question, no, that's not I'm like, cool. hey, Tom, Tom, I need you right now. Tom, I need help. That's not cool. No, I take that back. Don't call your pharmacist. Call me. Well, that brings me to another question, totally off topic, but you did say we could ask you anything. Anything. So, like, were you at a pharmacy contest, a conference and did you lose a bet? And they were like, you got to go talk to all the dentists now and now you're, like, a dental lecturer on pharmacology. Or, like, how did that work that you went from, I mean, you did work in a pharmacy for I did. a while. I did. You are a pharmacologist. Mm -hmm. How did you get from that to what you're doing now? A simple uh, request by a program director of a hygiene program in Pennsylvania who said, hey, would you like to teach pharmacology to dental hygiene students? It was just the simplest, easiest question I've ever received. And I said, yeah, what's it all about? I, but I've never taught a class in my life. And she said, don't worry. It's, it's a quick study. You'll be fine. And that's how it started. I still teach at that school all these years later. Well, thank yeah. God for yeah, that. No, Can you imagine? You have to be careful what you say yes to. I, I was going to say, it's like that movie with uh, <laughs> Yes Man, right? When you say yes to everything and you're not sure what you're saying yes to. But I enjoyed it. it, was, it was, it's been a great experience. It changed my life. So I, I really uh, I thank her every time I see her. You know. well, it's changing a lot of lives on the dental side. Yeah. That's for darn sure. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And being here in greater New York, being home, you know, I'm a boy from Brooklyn, so being here is like, uh, like coming home. You know, I enjoy it. So when you're here, mm -hmm. where do you go to eat? Well, you know, I can't give up all my secrets, man, because <laughs> everybody would go there and eat, and I would never be able to get in. So I'm going to say Pat's Pizza. Yeah, just go to Pat's Pizza. That's all. If you're in New York, you, you'll know what that means. Ooh, <laughs> every, pizza. every pizza's Pat's Pizza in New York. Ugh. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Darn. I had a friend that was a New York City police officer tell me about this pizza place in Harlem. And so I was like, okay, when I'm home, we're going to go to this pizza place. I swear the pieces, like the slices were like, I mean, the whole pie must be like four feet in well, diameter. It's like yes. crazy. Yeah. So I go down there. I like drive from my, I have my mom's car. I drive all the way down there, park in Harlem, go sit there, have a slice of pizza. And I go back in the car and I'm like, wow, my mom's car is amazing. It's still warm. I was home for the holidays. <laughs> I did not <laughs> shut my mom's car off. Oh, my god. I goodness. left my mom's car on and running and unlocked in Harlem while I sat there having a piece of pizza. And you know what? It was still there. Thank God. 
feel like this is an endorsement for the safety of the many boroughs of New York. The NYPD are doing their job. All Something right. we, good's we, happening. We, we, we love to hear it. That's yeah, great. Yeah, so if a police officer <laughs> recommends a place to eat, go. Go. Especially and your car will be protected, yes, especially yeah. if it's Pats. Yes, exactly. <laughs> car won't get robbed. So, all right, awesome. So we talked a little bit about opioids. We talked about antibiotics. I'm not going to lie. I was home this weekend. We're at Greater New York, so I'm always with my family before yeah. we get there. And you won't believe what I saw. I thought of you like every time I like walk past this room. I saw all this grapefruit juice. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. We just talked about we that. We just talked about this. Can you please share with everybody? And, David, you weren't there. So, no. you know, you, this is new for you, too. That there are some like very simple household items that one might drink or eat that can greatly reduce the efficacy of their medications, one of which is grapefruit juice. It's grapefruit juice, and it's something that you probably learn in pharmacology, and like I say with pharmacology all the time, it sort of drains out of your ears over the years, right? You forget it. But grapefruit juice is easy because it's not a very common juice anymore for this reason, because grapefruit juice interacts with liver enzymes and slows the enzymes down so that medications last longer in your body than they should. Mm. So you end up getting more side effects due to an exaggerated effect of the medication. Uh, so grapefruit juice is easy to avoid, but I'm not gonna lie, and I don't know if I should say this out loud, but people have sometimes used that to their pharmacologic advantage. So if they're taking a specific drug that they'd like to last longer, uh, they might decide to take it with grapefruit juice. I never endorsed that, I never said that out loud, maybe I did, but as far as I'm concerned, I, I, will not, I will not expand on that any further <laughs> other than to say you should not take your medication with grapefruit juice. Now, uh, having said that, cigarette smoke is another thing that does speed up liver enzymes. So when you are a smoker, you tend to go through more medication than a patient who doesn't smoke. And one of those medications for, that's true for is opioids. So when I was a pharmacist, people would say, I just got that prescription filled for that Percocet. You told me it was going to last six hours. I'm taking it, it's lasting me four hours and I'm in pain again, what's going on? And if I had confidence that that patient wasn't abusing the drug, I would say, first question, are you a smoker? Yeah, how'd you know? Well, lucky guess, right, obviously. So, so that, that's another thing that can alter your liver enzymes. And while it's never been proven, it's been assumed that secondhand smoke can do that as well. Really? Okay, again, never been proven. So those are two things. Now, what about dietary supplements? That's another one, right? Okay, so I, uh, I take St. John's wort let's say, uh, for depression. Now I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's my dietary supplement I take for my anxiety and my depression that should have no bearing on my medications. But St. John's wort probably interacts with more medications than most medications. And so, again, you've got the, you run the risk of, and again, it, could be, it, can, it can increase the effect of some drugs and decrease the effect of others. So unless you're a walking expert on drug interactions, you may not even know that. That's why it's important to ask your pharmacist, you know, before you take any dietary supplements or your doctor, before you take any dietary supplements because of the potential interactions. And the last one I like to talk about is a drug that we often prescribe in dentistry, although we don't prescribe it for many times or many doses, Diflucan. So fluconazole is a drug that uh, interacts with lots of medications. Uh, again, it slows uh, medications down, uh, uh, slows the liver enzymes down, so those medications last longer in your body than they should. Again, we don't prescribe it very often, but uh, it's something that, again, can have an effect on uh, multiple drugs the patient's taking. And that's why I say whenever you're a dentist, you've really got to be able to walk down two sides of a street. Hygienist as well, you've got to walk down two sides of the street, which is what? You've got to be an expert in every medication people use. 
to treat their systemic illnesses because any one of those medications could have an impact on dentistry. But at the same time, you've got to be an expert in every medication you use in dentistry because it might have an effect on a patient's systemic uh, illnesses and their medications. So really, it's two sides of a very busy street. Simple things that can go a long way or make things a lot more difficult for us, that's for sure. I don't know how simple that is, though. I mean, because I don't... So, all right, I'll just tell the world, whatever. I'm not on any medications. I don't have any prescriptions. So wouldn't you think it should say it on the bottle? Like if you're like, you shouldn't be drinking grapefruit juice or you should avoid certain things. Like how do people get that information? Because I don't know. I mean, I've looked at prescriptions on bottles and I've had prescriptions in my life. And other than like maybe avoid alcohol, which seems like obvious if you're taking a pain med or something, where do people get this information? Because there's probably all the people that are drinking grapefruit juice in the morning and taking medications and don't realize that there's an interaction there. It's all in that patient information leaflet you get with your prescriptions from the pharmacy. But a lot of people don't read it. Oh, yeah. But it's in there. Have yeah. you ever read it, Pam, honestly? The IFU of medications. <laughs> I can honestly say when a pharmacist says, like, hey, any questions, everything okay? I'm like, no, I'm good to go. And I just stop at, like, take this many there. And, wow, what yeah. a reason to be a better patient. My goodness. Wow. And sometimes pharmacists do put labels on bottles, especially for the statins, because the statins are, are drugs that are usually affected by grapefruit juice. So they'll put that little sticker on there. Yeah. But sometimes the bottles aren't as crazy as this sounds. Sometimes the bottles aren't big enough for all the stickers. That's why they give you the patient information leaflet. Yeah. That's a little frightening to think about. It is a lot frightening, <laughs> isn't it? I mm -hmm. think that, you know, as a dentist, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't always look up every medication every patient's taking at, you know, at, at their new patient visit. And I, you know, that, that was something we did in dental school. I mean, as long as I feel like I know what medications you're on, I know what you're allergic to, you know, if I have to prescribe something, which honestly, I don't prescribe meds that often. And if I do, I'll, you know, look things up if I need to. But I, I definitely don't normally do that. And I don't, I can't say that, that I've been an advocate for healthier dietary choices or supplement choices because of medications that they were on. So that's a big job for us as dentists, you know, and I think our number one excuse, I'm gonna say excuse, but the number one reason that we would probably not do that is maybe lack of, <laughs> what happens in your live conferences, uh, maybe lack of time. Time, it's always or time, yeah. lack of confidence and skills. Yep, I believe it's both, and I, I've often said this because people sometimes come up to me after my lectures and say, you talk a great game, Viola, but who's got time to spend 10 minutes or 15 minutes on a medical history? I can barely get everything I've got to get done done in this appointment time. I don't have time to take that medical history, but it's a team effort. You know, as I like to say, in some offices, you've got three people that are in and out of that operatory. Each person asks two questions. Now you've got six questions answered, right? So as long as you train your staff to have the same type of questions each time you take a medical history, and you get the, the responses down, that next person doesn't have to ask that same question, but you ask another question. And in that you somehow manage to fit in those six to maybe even eight questions about what do you take, why do you take it, did you take it today? Those kinds of things really help narrow down the medical history for you. But you still got to be able to ask the question to patients like, do you take any supplements? Or, or you know, you know about grapefruit juice, right? I, I, it's not something that comes up in conversation often, but if you're going to make conversation anyway, why not make it about something like that so that not only do they know, not only do you know more about them, but now they think, wow, I can't believe he or she asked me that question. That's, that's pretty cool. Like, I, I, yeah, I'm, I, they're interested in, in knowing more about me. 
And I, I like that. I think it's a team effort. Absolutely. That's exactly what was running through my head as you were sharing that is imagine how, how a patient feels when we start asking them questions that nobody's asking them and how confident they become in, in us. So that, of course, makes me need to know where you're going to be speaking and all the different ways we can get a hold of you because clearly there's a lot I need to know. Well, I am happy and blessed to be able to all of the uh, major dental meetings uh, coming up in the year. Uh, so anytime anybody ever needs to reach out to me, it's at TomViola.com. You can reach me there. My email address is Tom at TomViola.com or on social media everywhere at uh, Pharmacology Declassified. So, yeah, feel free. Love to hear from everybody. Or for a small fee, I'll give you his cell phone number and you can text him directly like I do. I would make it a big fee, but that's okay. That's just me talking. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much thank for joining us. I love every second we have together. Thank so you guys. You this know was amazing. You thank that, you so much. I mean, honestly, for people who maybe don't know you, which I don't know who doesn't know you, might not realize, is to get you to sit down for a few minutes at a dental show is like nearly impossible. So like this was like like the unicorn, like holy grail kind of get here. So thank you. Thank thank I look, I know how busy you guys are, and I want to tell you because no one else may have a chance to, so let me say it for everybody. Thank you you both for all you do for the professions of dentistry. Nobody gets a chance to say it because they don't get a chance to wear the headphones. So I'm saying it for everybody in the audience. Thank you both for what you do. Thanks, Tom. You guys good to be here. Thank you, guys. All right, gang. Well, till next week, Dentistry Unmasked. Pam. Bye. Bye, buddy. Thank you, everyone, for watching or listening to the show this week. And thanks to our guests and sponsors on this episode. Please check out our social media at Dr. Pamela underscore Maragliano and at Dental Economics Official. Or you can check me out at Ignite DDS or at Dr. David Rice. And go to dentaleconomics.com to receive dental economics. You can choose to receive DE in print or digitally, and you can also get the details of our Principles of Practice Management Conference on our website. If you have topics or guests or anything you'd like to talk about on the show, send us an email to dentistryunmaskedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our very best to make it happen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.